This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. When people talk about the United States Colored Troops, the USCT, most people think first of another black regiment, the 54th Massachusetts, stars of the movie Glory. They think perhaps of earlier black regiments raised in South Carolina, Louisiana, or Kansas. They don't think of the 14 Medals of Honor awarded to USCT at the Battle of New Market Heights outside of Richmond. How were these medals awarded? What did they do there? Why was this, in some ways, the most significant engagement fought by African Americans in the Civil War? We'll find out today when we talk with James S. Price, author of The Battle of New Market Heights, Freedom Will Be Theirs by the Sword. He'll be our guest today on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you on a clear and chilly December afternoon from the campus of East Carolina University. Open, fully open, not locked down due to umbrella-wielding suspects. But not speaking for East Carolina University, nor the University of North Carolina, or the system, or any uh, anything else like that, just for myself. And our guest will, of course, do likewise today, as always happens here on Civil War Talk Radio. Well, it is uh, uh, that time of year when, of course, the nation's attention turns to uh, big sporting events. The football bowl games will be upon us soon. The uh, NFL playoffs will follow. Uh, I think basketball is going to take place at some point this year, although that's of little concern. And, of course, most importantly, the men's over-50 State Cup soccer tournament will be taking place this weekend in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, listeners are welcome to turn out wearing uh, the Civil War Talk Radio colors that uh, uh, I guess we don't have any colors. We don't have a, a team uniform. But the Greenville Stars, that's uh, the over-50 team you'll be cheering for, so you can wear green, and that, that'll work for that. Unless we play Greensboro, then we've got a problem. Uh, nonetheless, uh, that's where I'll be this weekend. Uh, so if, if there is no live show next week, it's because I'll be in traction. But hopefully there will be. Uh, Wayne uh, Shea will be our guest. Uh, next week, talking about West Pointers in the Civil War, the old army in war and peace. And uh, Wayne has some very interesting things to say about the nature of total war and the 
use of rifled muskets and all kinds of interesting things that uh, I very much enjoy talking about. We'll hear from that. We've also got some very good shows lined up after that. Next week will be the last live show for the year 2011. Uh, it'll be time for winter graduation and then break time. But we'll come back in the spring, starting which in academic terms means the frozen middle of January is the spring. Uh, spring term will will start with uh, Dwight Pitt-Kaefley on January 13, the uh, former chief historian of the Park Service and a very interesting speaker. Uh, we'll have uh, Andrea uh, Farogi. I'm probably saying her name wrong. Uh, we'll have other guests in the following season, including uh, Jason Phillips, uh, Adam Aronson, written a new book on uh, St. Louis and the Civil War, all kinds of interesting people. So I uh, hope you'll be joining us for those shows. On the monetary front, feel free, as always, to send your $20 this way, and I'll use it to buy books or other interesting things. Uh, you can do that with the PayPal button on the the uh, the website, uh, impedimentsofwar.org. Or you can just go to PayPal, send it to civilwartr at aol.com. And while you're spending money on yourself in this holiday season, get a uh, check out the new magazine, Civil War Monitor, which I am not paid to endorse. I mentioned briefly in an article on people's favorite books of the year. They're all books you've heard about if you've been listening to the show. Other uh, writers mentioned their favorite books of the past year. It's quite interesting to see what folks are reading. So uh, take a look at that, uh, a, a new magazine of, of some interest. And I think North and South is still engaging in their their incredible sale of nine ninety nine for a year or year extension. Certainly, uh, that nine ninety nine will barely get you a fast food meal anymore. So it's worth it for a year of North and South magazine. And those are purely gratuitous plugs, uh, not paid for, not actual commercials. The show continues to be done as a labor of love, not to make money or to accept bribes or advertising or anything like that. Well, today's show will be an experiment of sorts. Uh, Our guest is uh, James S. Price, uh, who has written The Battle of New Market Heights, Freedom Will Be Theirs by the Sword. It's published by the History Press. I'll be asking him about the experience of publishing with that organization. Uh, they do a series of, of books on the Civil War, but many other historical topics as well, and they're a non-traditional press. We'll see what that means. Uh, but I'll lay my cards out and, and tell you up front, and uh, I know Mr. Price is listening too, that this past week here at East Carolina has been uh, the most challenging in many ways since I became chair of the History Department uh, some years ago in terms of the uh, attempts to reorganize the university. Uh, A committee has been formed to rank all the departments in the university, 70 departments across multiple colleges, and put them in order from 1 to 70, uh, best to worst, most valuable to least valuable. No one's quite sure what the order means, but you don't want to be too far down. And history came out somewhere in the bottom third, maybe. Um, The people who are on the committee surprisingly, astonishingly, actually ranked their own departments all in the top third. Uh, what a coincidence that, that they should all have come from the best departments. Uh, there's a lot of unhappiness and dissension about this, this committee report and 
curiosity as to what it entails, uh, what departments will be will shrink as a result of this, which ones might even be abolished as a result of this. We don't know. But it's taken meeting after meeting, uh, memo after memo, this after that. And uh, just when at lunchtime today, I thought this has been the most challenging week since I've been here. I got a phone call from the dean with uh, a personnel matter uh, sufficiently sorted that I can't go into details with you here on, on the radio. Uh, that I have to uh, resolve next. So it just, the hits just keep on coming. What this means by way of lengthy apologia uh, or excuse or whininess is that I did not finish reading this week's book. And that doesn't normally happen. That doesn't ever happen. I usually at least can whip through it right to the end and get a sense of this. Uh, or if it's about, say, the Battle of Shiloh, I have a pretty good idea what's Rebs are going to win the first day, Yanks are going to win the second day, and I can just ask the right questions. The Battle of Newmarket Heights is not so well known, uh, and uh, as much as I've enjoyed uh, the half of it that I've had time to read this week, we're going to go through it together, listeners, you and I, and find out uh, what happened. What happened with the USCT at the Battle of Newmarket Heights? And I will be enlightened as we go, uh, as you are. I've got the book in front of me, and I hopefully can point us to uh, the right questions. And I'm really looking forward to this weekend when I'm at the soccer tournament. And between games, we all lie around on the grass and uh, drink Gatorade and tell lies about uh, our, our personal lives. Uh, and some of us read books, uh, and I'll be reading this one and, and uh, enjoying the, the chance to leisurely finally finish it. But let's get started and, and see what's in it. Uh, Mr. Price, are you there? I am. Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, it's no problem at all. It was uh, quite an honor. And, um, you know, just, you know, with what you were saying earlier about not being able to finish the book, you know, I'm actually running a special through the end of the year where um, you can buy the book and you don't even have to read it. You just just have to buy it. So that's that's a deal. Now, yeah. listeners, hear that uh, you can without any obligation whatsoever. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I I like that that offer. That's a it's it's very very good. You could, in fact, two you know buy two books and you only have to read one of them. And exactly, multiple copies are preferred. Even better. Um, <laughs> Well, see, uh, you go by Jimmy on your email. Is, is it okay to use that? Yeah. Uh, and, and please call me Jerry. Okay. Um, uh, so, so, Jimmy, first of all, tell tell me about uh, uh, tell me about you, your your day job. Uh, do you, you don't get to write history all the time, I guess. Well, I actually do. Um, ah, I'm one wonderful. of those rare, fortunate. Uh, people who has uh, spent the past 10 years or so in public history. And uh, right now I'm working with uh, John Hennessy and the wonderful crew over at Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park. Uh, we're working together to come up with a web-based curriculum uh, that, which will hopefully enhance their website and uh, get all the school kids in the surrounding counties uh, interested in uh, the four different battles that happened around them and uh, what happened to you know the poor citizenry of Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania. So I do get to write about history uh, pretty much on a daily basis. Oh, that, that is fabulous. Now, do you, uh, do you work for the Park Service or is a, a private organization? What's your uh, it was actually work? through uh, a contract. So I'm contracted with them uh, to work until the project is complete. 
Wow, that that is it, the coincidence is this morning I taught my intro to public history class, and the topic was uh, was, was websites, public history through the web. Uh, one of my colleagues, Karen Zip, has prepared a really uh, nice website on the Wilmington riot of 1898. Which uh, you know, listeners, if you don't know uh, about that, the only successful armed coup in American history when the uh, angry armed white supremacist Democrats uh, threw out the populist and Republican uh, officials at gunpoint, forced them to resign at gunpoint, and took over the city government and maintained it for for decades. not something often talked about, uh, uh, but in any case, uh, she made a marvelous website, and she came and talked to our class about it. And one of the things we talked about was how difficult it is for historians to do websites because one thing is you need a mix of skills. You, you need to work with a graphic designer unless you know it yourself, but not many people know the graphic design and the history to do this. Uh, so as a contractor, do you bring both to the table, or do you do the history part? How does that work? Um, I'm responsible for most of it. I'm responsible for all the content, um, and it is very challenging to try to convey what happened in the Fredericksburg area uh, over two years uh, into one nice little chunk that a fifth grader can understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that's been a challenge. Um, so, you know, I've been sort of trying to keep myself in the mind of a fifth grader and also trying to help the teachers out by making sure uh, that programs and activities on the site are relevant to the SOLs, which is also uh, a bit of a challenge. But um, uh, well, my computer... No, I'm sorry. I say that's the bane of public history, is, is having to, to meet the teacher's state standards. Uh, they have to teach to the test, so we have to teach them to teach to the test. Yes. So it, it's been an interesting challenge uh, to try to juggle both of those at the same time. Uh, luckily... Um, I'm blessed to be married to a former high school teacher, so um, when I'm doing something that I think is wonderful, uh, I can walk up to her and she'll say, you know, you're not trying to write a Pulitzer Prize-winning work of history <laughs> here. You need to, to bring it down to the level of a fifth grader. And then I sulk and walk away and, and change what she, <laughs> she tells me to change. But um, And uh, I also am responsible for uh, sort of the design and look of the website, but not all the sort of bells and whistles and video features. That's, mm-hmm. that's going to be handled by something else, somebody else who hopefully knows a, a great deal more about that than I do. So you're not, are you working specifically with someone on that yet? Uh, I'm just wondering about the partnership. Sometimes when you work with people who, who do graphic design or do exhibit building or whatever, you know, they have their own ideas and, and you have your historical ideas. And it can be very fruitful or it can be very frustrating. Uh, it's been a bit of both. Um, basically, uh, we had a, an initial meeting um, where they kind of told me what they wanted and just general content outlines and, you know, also really hammering home the SOL so that uh, teachers, not just in Fredericksburg, but throughout the country would be able to uh, to use the product. So that meant that I have to now juggle Virginia state standards and the national standards as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Um, it's just been a sort of a, a trial and error. We, I'll, I'll come up with something based on uh, one of the meetings that we've had, and then I'll present it to them, and they come back to me with comments. And um, we're pretty much done with that phase now, praise God. Um, the content is pretty much locked in. Uh, what we're doing now is just uh, really working on um, you know, 
the look and the feel of the website and how a fifth grader could maneuver through it uh, with ease. Now, will this website be of interest to our listeners who are beyond the fifth grade? Uh, I, I certainly hope so. Um, I know that uh, we're planning to do um, several short videos to go along with the websites. And um, uh, if you've ever been to one of the uh, either Fredericksburg Visitor Center or Chancellorsville Visitor Center, you've seen their films. They're, they're pretty well done. John Hennessy actually writes um, the scripts for them. So uh, they make some pretty high-quality stuff. And uh, a lot of the content that I'm using in this um, is, you know, Stuff that you know people just interested in uh, either the civilian or soldier experience at Chancellorsville or, or Fredericksburg would be interested to read. I would hope. Well, the sound sounds very promising. So you do this. So, so you're a contractor who gets to do this kind of thing. That uh, that again, in terms of public history, is is maybe the most adventurous for a lot of people. It's the scariest uh, uh, way to make a living, uh, you know, freelancing or contracting. Uh, but that's worked out for you. Yeah, well, this is my first attempt at it. Um, I've been in the museum area uh, for the past 10 years working at uh, pretty much any museum in Richmond that has to do with the Civil War. Uh, I've put some time in there, (laughs) including the National Park Service. Uh, But when this opportunity came along, I just thought it was really neat. It was an opportunity for me to to sort of challenge myself and and work on something that hopefully will be uh, a great addition to what the people at Fredericksburg Battlefield do. Oh, well, that, that sounds good. Have you always been interested in the Civil War? Does this go way back? Yeah. Um, I was born in Pittsburgh, uh, but my family moved to Richmond when I was about five years old, and uh, that coincided with all the 125th anniversary reenactments that were taking place, and uh, somebody handed me a copy of Bruce Catton's um, American Heritage History of the Civil War, and that was that was pretty much all I needed. That was game over. No, that, that, that's that's the right one. I, I'm sure listeners to the, the show have heard that story repeated many times. That is the the book that converted more people uh, with the, the wonderful illustrations and the, the style of writing. It, it just uh, pulls you in. Well, we're going to take a break shortly, so I don't want to leap in uh, uh, headfirst, but... Uh, let me just ask the first question. What what got you aware of this story of the Battle of Newmarket Heights? Where did you come across it? Well, I first came across it when I was interning at uh, Richmond National Battlefield. Um, one of my jobs there was just to sort of familiarize myself with the uh, umpteen million conflicts that took place in the Richmond area. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with a gentleman named Mike Andrus. I've heard the name. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, big on Newmarket Heights. He, he thought it was a story that needed to be told more often, and it was sort of his pet project. Uh, so that was when I first encountered it. And then uh, my last job before uh, venturing off into the world of contracting was with the county of Henrico, and that's the county in which the battle took place. So um, I would give lectures to local organizations about the battle who were interested and had the chance to give tours of the battlefield a, a couple of times. So. Um, yeah, it wasn't something that I just sort of had any inkling to to learn about. It was just something that was sort of part of my work, and uh, I just got sucked in through that. Okay. Well, we'll pick up the story. We're going to take a short break now. We're talking today with Jimmy Price, author of The Battle of Newmarket Heights, 
freedom will be theirs by the sword. We'll find out what happened to New Market Heights when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take world talk radio on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market in the hustle and bustle world we live in we need to be reminded that in all failures and successes we are the common denominators the change needs to come from within each week, let Daniel Gutierrez and Osmara Vindel help bring you the tools you need to manage your success. We'll talk with the movers and shakers of business and personal development and see what makes them tick. The only bilingual radio show, right here, right now. Aki Ora airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Jimmy Price. That's James S. Price, author of The Battle of New Market Heights. Freedom Will Be Theirs by the Sword is the subtitle. It's published by the History Press, uh, part of their sesquicentennial series, of Civil War books. Um, uh, Jimmy, we just started talking about the Battle of New Market Heights itself. This takes place in, in 1864. It's uh, uh, say outside of Richmond. As, uh, it, it is notable, well, for many things, but uh, most of all for the participation of the, the USCT, the uh, United States Colored Troops, you start out in the book talking uh, quite a bit about Benjamin Butler, a somebody with a low reputation among uh, Civil War enthusiasts, I would say. Uh, but but you you have some new perspective on him. Uh, what, what's your view of uh, Butler, and, and why is he in the book here? Well, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely hard to get a uh, impartial <laughs> sort of calm opinion of. Of Benjamin Butler, I actually um, one time I was giving a presentation on New Market Heights, a uh, PowerPoint presentation, and as soon as his picture uh, flashed up on the walls, people started hissing and booing. Wow! Um, so yeah, he uh, he carries a lot of baggage with him. Um, but uh, I mean, he's always sort of portrayed as the inept, uh, conniving political general who. Um, basically had no military skills whatsoever, but just got his position through his uh, political power. And, um, and and there are certainly elements of truth in all of the criticisms uh, that are, you know, waged against him. But um, he did, I, I mean, one of the things I try to convey in the book is that he was able to, to change with the times. I mean, if you consider the fact that he started off uh, in 1860 uh, at the... Democratic Convention nominating Jefferson Davis uh, as their nominee. Uh, fast forward four years later, he's now turned into a radical Republican who's in charge of the Union Army that has the largest contingent of black troops in it. Um, so I think he was, 
you know, I think people tend to just emphasize the shady side of him and the uh, the ineptitude, and there certainly was a lot of that. But, um, you know, I put a, a part of my book about how, uh, you know, his soldiers, the black soldiers, really had a fondness for him. And when a rumor spread around the camp that uh, he was being transferred out of the Army, they uh, they sort of almost rioted and said, we're not going to fight for anybody but him. So uh, there is a different side to him that doesn't really get discussed as much. Now, when he, uh, the, the black soldiers who are fighting in his army, that's the army of the James. Yes. Uh, and they, they are south of the James River uh, in 1864. But they, uh, they, they got, uh, they don't do particularly well, at, at least at first. Uh, you know, Butler didn't take advantage of his brief opportunity to seize Richmond uh, when the army first arrived there. Uh, what about the the uh, the black units, uh, the, the USCT in that army? How many were there, first of all? Well, in Butler's army, he had the, uh, roughly 10,000 um, United States colored troops. They were sort of uh, coming in and going out, different units. Uh, units that had just recently been raised were sort of coming into his army and um, without even like lo- knowing how to load their muskets. So uh, there was, the numbers were sort of fluctuating. Um, but, uh, you know, the Army of the James is just about as political an entity as, as any other army, or Civil War army, especially. And, um, well, in, what way, okay, in what way would you say they were political? Well, it's just um, most of the commanders and uh, junior officers and above were um, formerly politicians, as opposed to the Army of the Potomac, where you have a lot of West Point graduates. I see. Mm-hmm. So this army, army um, you know, contains these black soldiers. They were. Uh, you write that this battle went a long way toward establishing the reputation of black soldiers, but this takes place after the Fort Wagner, after the 54th Massachusetts had its moment. Uh, are you saying that that as late as September 64, there's still uh, uh, questions around the ability of black troops to fight well? Yes. Um... And and that's gonna. I think that just has to do with, um, you know, the the way the attitudes of the times. Um, you know, if if you were an officer who was convinced to, you know, that black soldiers were not going to be able to fight, no ma- amount of evidence would probably be able to dissuade you of that opinion. Uh, but within the army, the James itself, a lot of the officers and a lot of the enlisted men um, did not have a very high opinion of the United States colored troops. Um, you know, when when they before New Market Heights takes place, they're involved with uh, constructing the Dutch Gap Canal, uh, which never got finished. That was Butler's pet project uh, to shorten the routes through the James River. Um, so it looked, you know, for a long time that the black troops under his command were going to be used for nothing but you know manual labor. And then after after the Battle of the Crater, um, Butler writes that there was a lot of um, Bad sentiment towards the black troops. Sort of the failure of the mine attack was was heaped upon the black soldiers, as opposed to some of the inept leadership. Hmm. So there was still uh, something to prove, <laughs> okay. if you will, by by September of 1864. Okay. So how did how did these troops? Uh, how how does the battle come about? Let's let's move to the tactics here. Uh, uh, your, your chapter entitled A Long and Tedious Tramp is subtitled The March Up. 
uh, talk about how they how how this set the table for us, if you would. Okay. Well, uh, the Army of the James at that point was broken into uh, two corps, the 10th and the 18th Corps, along with uh, a cavalry contingent. And some of the troops were in Bermuda 100, some of the troops were stationed in front of Petersburg. And uh, the grand idea was for the Army of the Potomac under Meade to threaten uh, the city of Petersburg and the Army of the James to shift north uh, across the James River and attack the eastern approaches to Richmond. Um, unfortunately, uh, there was a mix-up in the orders uh, for the 10th Corps under David Bell Burney, and um, they didn't start marching when they were supposed to. They were supposed to start marching early in the morning, and they don't they don't start marching towards uh, an area called Deep Bottom uh, until the afternoon, and it turns into a uh, a really grinding night march for these men. And uh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning by the time that the last unit crosses the pontoon bridge at Deep Bottom. And uh, so a lot of these guys didn't, didn't get a lot of rest before they had to go into battle. Some of them just laid down, um, just started drinking coffee because they thought it wasn't even worth bothering. Uh, but it was definitely a grueling night march, you know, wagon trains getting intermixed with the men, stopping and starting, all the dust getting kicked up. And the attack was set for four o'clock in the morning, so that uh, it was just a miserable foot slogging experience for the uh, the infantry and the army of the James. Uh, let's look at the other side of the field. There, <coughs> what what kind of position are they? <coughs> excuse me. Uh, what kind of position are they moving up to attack, and, and who's defending it? Uh, they're attacking. Um, well, it's a two pronged attack. Um, this, this is a, the overall battle is going to be called the Battle of Chaffin's Farm, and it's going to last from September 29th to through September 30th, 1864. Uh, one prong of the attack is, uh, is designed to attack Chaffin's Bluff, uh, which is, if you're familiar with the Battle of Fort Harrison, that's what develops with that wing. The other wing um, is designed to attack the New Market Line, which protects uh, the New Market Road, which um, leads directly into the city of Richmond. So the idea was to hit uh, two of the major uh, fortifications on the eastern approach to Richmond, and if they were successful, um, they were supposed to drive in and actually take the city. And uh, Butler promised a, a commission on the spot for any enlist, the first enlisted soldier who set foot in Richmond. Uh, so that was the overall idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the Confederates who were manning the works, um, you know, we sort of had the idea by 1864, the forces that were on the north side of the James were, you know, Second-rate troops, you know, sort of the city battalions and uh, guys who were just sort of on call. Uh, but that was not the case at Newmarket Heights. Um, Hood's Texas Brigade, or what was formerly known as Hood's Texas Brigade, uh, occupied the line. Uh, so these are, I mean, they weren't the great fighting force that they were, say, in 1862, but um, they still uh, were considered to be some of Lee's best fighting troops. They were nicknamed Lee's Grenadier Guard. Um, and the Hampton Legion, uh, there was some dismounted cavalry that was there, and some more famous art- artillery units like the 3rd Richmond Howitzers and the 1st Rockbridge Artillery was, was stationing this line. So it's not like they were going to be uh, attacking a line that was defended by second-rate troops. They were, they were sort of getting the cream of the crop. So did the Union forces have any 
foreknowledge of this? You you mentioned uh, that there was some some spying going on. Uh, did Butler know what he was sending his troops into? He did. Uh, he issued an amazing 16-page order um, to all of his corps commanders, uh, giving great detail as to what they were supposed to do. Um, and he even was able to determine um, the units that were occupying the trenches and what their approximate strengths were. And if you compare what he says uh, their strengths were to what we actually know their strengths to be, he's pretty close. Hmm. So it's a bit of a mystery as to why uh, these officers, once they cross the James and go up against New Market Heights, knowing full well what they're going to go up against, uh, as we'll see, the, the attack sort of stalls down and they, they don't use all of their forces to push this much smaller force away from them. Well, again, and I'm, I, as I promised at the beginning, I'm glancing at uh, uh, chapter headings uh, with anticipation. We go to Duncan's assault, uh, followed uh, later by Draper's assault, so the, the implication is there will be a series of attacks made. Uh, how, how does the attack uh, unfold? Well, uh, you're right. There are two waves of attack. Um, um, Butler decided to place um, an all-United States Colored Troop division in the vanguard of the attack on the New Market Line, commanded by a guy named uh, Brigadier General Charles Payne. Payne is a bit of an inexperienced officer. He hasn't really done much, but he was political friends with Butler, so uh, he was in charge of a division. Uh, so when he crosses the James, there's roughly 26,000 troops under his command. Um, when they get to New Market Heights, or the, the approaches to the New Market line that, that's protecting New Market Heights, um, he's, he sends in one brigade under um, Samuel A. Duncan, which consists of the 4th United States Colored Troops and the 6th United States Colored Troops. And it was their job uh, to take the line. Um, now, one has to remember that in July and August, uh, Winfield Scott Hancock's entire corps had attempted to take this line and failed both times during the, the first and second battles of Deep Bottom. Uh, so why Payne would only choose to send about 750 men to take this line is just something we'll never know. Um, he did right after the, ba after the battle, he wrote that there were around 1,800 Confederates that were occupying uh, that line. It seemed like everybody wanted to get in on, on this fight to shoot at a black soldier. So why, if he knew that, he sent 750 men. It's, it's just something that has been lost to history. But nonetheless, Duncan's troops do go in. Um, it's still early in the morning. They said there was a, a fog that shrouded the battlefield. Uh, they are going to come across two obstructions. There's a, a creek called Four Mile Creek that runs parallel to the lines. And then they have, um, I'm sure you're familiar with, Chevaux de Free and Abati and the different sort of early forms of barbed wire that mm -hmm. uh, Civil War armies would use to protect uh, their fortifications. They had to make it through two lines of that before uh, they actually made it to uh, the Confederate earthworks. And uh, as you might predict, they basically had to deploy in a glorified skirmish line with only 750 men. They attack, they drive in the pickets, uh, the pickets spread the word that not only are there Union troops coming, but there are black Union troops coming. I can't repeat what they, what they were yelling when they jumped back into their trenches, uh, but that certainly got the fighting spirit up of the Confederate soldiers. And um, Duncan's poor troops just walked into a, uh, a slaughterhouse. I mean, they, 
they're going to lose 300 of the 750 men that went in there. Um, and uh, the attack is going to dissolve within 30 minutes. And uh, amazingly, Payne is going to do the same thing. He's just going to send in one more brigade. <laughs> He's going to send in uh, Draper's brigade. Uh, and luckily, they had more men. This is around 1,300 troops. By now, the sun is coming up. Um, so they're sort of able to see where they're going. They can see the field ahead of them that's strewn with the, uh, the dead from Duncan's assault. They basically attacked over the exact same ground. And they encountered the exact same problems that Duncan's troops did. They, uh, they were eating artillery fire, exploding overhead, uh, point-blank almost musket fire, and they couldn't get through the wooden obstacles. They were stuck in them for 30 minutes mm. uh, before finally uh, they were able to get uh, get moving and actually take the line. No, but they do take the line. They do, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, around 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock that morning, um, the Confederates are going to pull back and they're going to head towards Fort Harrison uh, and try to consolidate the lines so that they don't lose any more ground. Well, we're going to take another short break and come back, talk about the conclusion of this battle, and uh, ask about the awarding of the Congressional Medal of Honor, uh, which 14 uh, USCT soldiers received. We'll do that when we return. We're talking today with James S. Price about the Battle of Newmarket Heights. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. best-selling authors find tantalizing new books learn the latest healthy living tips and be inspired to coach yourself to success on star style be the star you are every thursday from 3 to 4 p.m pacific time on world talk radio the oprah of the airwaves cynthia bryan and her health hero daughter heather Brittany fire up the airwaves with upbeat positive life-changing talk radio it's the power hour on star style be the star you are thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m pacific on the world talk radio variety channel come play with us you're listening to the world talk radio variety channel Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Jimmy Price, author of The Battle of Newmarket Heights, Freedom Will Be Theirs by the Sword. We've been talking about this battle in which uh, brigades of African-American soldiers, Union soldiers, attacked Confederate entrenchments outside of Richmond in September 1864, 
at a critical time in the war leading up to the uh, the election in November 1864 at a time when Lincoln's emancipation policy was certainly still in doubt um, and when the the uh, fighting ability uh, as we discussed in, in our last segment of African American soldiers was still uh, doubted by some uh, Jimmy the these uh, as it says in the introduction here there are there were 14 medals of honor awarded that's uh, a remarkable number what uh, and it also suggests perhaps politics were involved uh, what happened well um there, I, sh- I should state there were 14 African-American troops who won the Medal of Honor, and then there were also two white officers uh, who received uh-huh. that uh, award as well. So the number really is 16, uh, which is truly remarkable. Um, uh, the politics involved was, uh, once again, going back to Ben Butler. Um, he was so moved by what he saw on the battlefield at Newmarket Heights uh, that he, you know, he said that when uh, he put the black troops in the vanguard, he wanted to p- see whether or not um, they could prove their fighting prowess. And at Newmarket Heights, he says they, they did that uh, splendidly. So he wants these men to be recognized and awarded. And eventually he's going to, uh, he, he tries to get uh, some of the, the heroes of the battle uh, commissions uh, as officers, and that fails. Um, there was a gentleman named Christian Fleetwood who was one of the more uh, well-known African-American soldiers during the Civil War. Um, all of the officers in his regiment signed a petition asking him to be promoted uh, to the rank of lieutenant, and you know that just sort of got lost in the paperwork, and they never got a response back. And there was another one that Butler himself tried to promote to the rank of captain, uh, and that failed as well. Um, I guess they thought that uh, the world wasn't ready for for uh, battlefield commissions for black troops yet. Um, but he was able to get uh, eventually 14 of his soldiers uh, the Medal of Honor. And the controversy with that sort of stems from the fact that, um, you know, the Medal of Honor had only been around for two years at this point in time. Uh, there's that famous incident um, that was written about in the book called uh, Shower of Stars, where mm-hmm. I believe 800 men were all awarded the Medal of Honor just for reenlisting. Uh, so it didn't necessarily ho- hold the same um, high honor that uh, Americans regard it with today. Mm-hmm. And um, when people started researching, they, they thought it, it was just sort of a, a token, like, you know, these were black troops who fought well, so they just gave them a bunch of Medals of Honor to show that you know, they were nice to their black soldiers, but it really wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, there was one author who referred to it as hoopla. Hmm. That's his word, not mine. And uh, another very prominent historian referred to it as militarily irrelevant negrophilia. Hmm. Um, I take a different approach, and to me it's, you know, just the fact that the Medal of Honor was not necessarily as prestigious uh, as it is today back then, doesn't necessarily prove anything. I mean, I defy anyone to go to Little Round Top and say that uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain didn't deserve his Medal of Honor or it wasn't a very big deal and, and see if you can survive the encounter. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I just sort of, in the book, you know, lay down what were the actions that these Medal of Honor recipients did. And in every single case, they were uh, saving the colors, rallying their troops, uh, so that they could continue the attack, continue the advance. I mean, they were doing everything that, 
you know, you would think uh, a Medal of Honor recipient should should be doing. So uh, I just sort of take the other side that there certainly was politics involved in this, but um, at the same time, these guys weren't just, they didn't just waltz right into the new market line and not receive any casualties. They, they suffered horrendous casualties and, and displayed incredible bravery. Hmm. So this... Um well, let's jump ahead to the the present. What is there anything to see at New Market Heights today? Unfortunately, there's not. Well, there's there's a roadside marker, and that's it. Really? <laughs> um, yes. Unfortunately, um, the last chapter of my book, I go into the uh, preservation uh, struggles that took place in the late '80s and early '90s, um, right right after the film Glory came out. Uh, somebody wrote a, a piece that you know, said something just as significant and interesting involving black troops happened right here in our own backyard in Richmond. And um, that sparked uh, a huge controversy when the National Park Service wanted to designate the New Market Heights battlefield as a national historic landmark. Hmm. And um, there were a lot of landowners who were, you know, they were, they were afraid that the federal government was going to come in, use eminent domain, and take their land away from them. Uh, which they never said they were going to do. They were just trying to do a survey to, to see how big the battlefield was. Uh, but nonetheless, um, that effort failed. Um, so the only thing that's out there now is a, uh, a roadside marker that was put out there in 1993. And the county of Henrico does own a portion of the battlefield, um, but unfortunately it's not accessible. There's, it, it doesn't even have a paved road leading to it. And... Um, as I said, when I was describing the battle, the major, one of the major obstacles to the Union troops was Four Mile Creek, and Four Mile Creek is still there and is still <laughs> a major obstacle to anybody trying to get to the battlefield. So uh, there has been talk about um, opening it up, uh, creating a park there uh, with a monument to all the, the Medal of Honor recipients, but um, so far it, it's just been talk. Well, it would be good to see. I, I asked about preservation partly. You have that chapter, and then you've also got uh, a foreword written by uh, O. James Lighthizer, the president of the Civil War Trust. Uh, so clearly you've got uh, you know, some support in the preservation community for this. Yes, in uh, 2009, the, the Civil War Trust voted uh, Newmarket Heights to be one of the top ten most endangered battlefields uh, in the country. So. If my book can play any small part in preserving what's left of it, I, I'll be very happy. It's, yeah. uh, it's a story that needs to be talked about, and it, it would certainly help to tell the story if you could actually go see the ground where it happened. Yeah, that does help. Let me ask about the book itself, uh, published by the History Press. I've been receiving uh, a, a couple books have come across uh, the, the transom here from uh, History uh, the history press. What was it like working with this organization, or, or what do you know about them? Who are they? Well, um, from my knowledge, they used to be part of uh, Arcadia Publishing, which publishes those um, photographic histories books that you see in like Walgreens and, and different places, um, mm -hmm. always in the local history section. Uh, they split off uh, to do you know, more academic works, not just picture books uh, about local history. And uh, I'm not sure when they started the Civil War Sesquicentennial series, but um, they've been putting them out for, I guess, at least two years now. Um, 
and they've gotten some pretty big names uh, to write to write their histories. Eric Wittenberg wrote a, a book on Brandy Station. Um, John Hoptak, who uh, works for Antietam, just came out with a book on um, South Mountain, and I think he's doing the the book on Gettysburg as well. So um, it's a surprising well surprisingly well done series, and I, I don't. You know, I don't mean any disrespect when I say it's surprising, but it, um, mm-hmm. they're, you know, a small publishing company based out of Charleston, South Carolina, that has one building. So they uh, mm-hmm. they put together a really, really nice book, I think, in my case. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get Steve Stanley to, to do the maps for me. So uh, all in all, I'd say, you know, it was a great experience. It, it is a very, uh, very attractive book. It's a uh, paper cover, but perfect bound. Uh, uh, with the, the photograph on the cover, is that one of the regiments that was at uh, uh, at Newmarket Heights? Yes, uh, that's the uh, company of the Fourth United States Colored Troops. So they would have been involved in the first assault uh, it, under it, Duncan. I'm looking at it. It's a beautifully reproduced photograph. The cover is uh, sort of glossy paper, but the photograph is, is in very sharp detail, and you can really look at the individuals' faces and get a sense of personalities in this regiment. It's quite uh, uh, quite nice. And as you say, the maps, uh, Steve Stanley is, is, is uh, you know, well-known Civil War cartographer, and he obviously does a nice job on these uh, as well. Uh, I do remember Arcadia, which I guess is still out there, publishing you know, local histories. Uh, wherever you live, listeners, there's probably an Arcadia book about your neighborhood uh, or your your city, at least, and, and uh, at least anywhere in the United States. So uh, uh, when they branched in, it, I get, well, I guess they get those written by local experts, which yeah. means they converge into antiquarianism pretty easily and just be... Uh, be of local interest and nothing else. But these Civil War books, as you say, uh, some of the authors have been on the show and uh, certainly know what they're talking about. And, and uh, it's an interesting uh, way to reach a new audience with books that are not intimidating in length and uh, attractive and uh, and tell a story that, that we don't already know, uh, as in the example of, of Newmarket Heights. The... Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was your your blog, the uh, USCT blog. You, since you do, you're working on the website for Fredericksburg. Uh, I guess it is not surprising that you're also active uh, on the internet. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, uh, the blog is called the Sable Arm, a blog dedicated to the United States Colored Troops of the Civil War era. Um, after I got my master's degree, I was never able to give something a, a short title. I, I had to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that. I just picked up that habit. But um, most people just know it as a sable arm, uh, based on uh, the seminal work that was done back in the 1950s. Um, really, the first good book on United States colored troops, and there's a, a famous quote from Frederick Douglass talking about uh, the nation needing to use its strong sable arm. But um, yeah, I actually began that blog uh, when I started to work for Henrico County. Um, I, you know, I realized that I was going to be needing to, to learn a lot about the Battle of Newmarket Heights just for my job, and um, I was also you know, interested just to learn more about uh, United States Colored Troops, so I started the blog basically to force myself uh, to, uh, to stay you know, diligent in my research on these topics, because as a history not I, I feel sort of pulled in all different directions sometimes I'm on World War one and sometimes I'm, I'm all over the map so I, I started the blog you know just to, to force myself to 
uh, to diligently apply myself to the study of United States colored troops and specifically the Battle of Newmarket Heights, and um, that led to a book contract with the History Press. So I couldn't be more happy. Well, and it's good when, when things work out that way. I've just gone here to your website as we're chatting, and I see the, the top item in the blog uh, from yesterday is, is your appearance on the show here right now. So I'm in a sort of loop of, uh, of media here as I read about me talking to you tomorrow, but it's happening today. Uh, but it also says you'll be at the African American Civil War Museum tomorrow. That's Saturday, December 3rd of 2011, for those who are in the the area, and, and doing a book signing there and, and giving a lecture as well. So uh, good luck with that. Thank you. Uh, I've not been to the African American Civil War Museum and. and uh, it, 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 I assume you must have been there by now. I actually have not. Well, I went to their old location, um, mm-hmm. but I haven't seen their their brand new location that, that supposedly has all the the bells and whistles. And the, uh, I've heard nothing but wonderful things about the exhibit and the way it's laid out. So I'm really excited to get up there, see my friend Harry Jones, and and uh, oh. give a little talk about New Market Heights. You know, that's something we can uh, certainly all look forward to. So looking forward, as we go into the sesquicentennial, do you see, uh, um, you know, where, where do you see things going, uh, both with with technology, with what you're doing, with the blog, with the, the website, uh, uh, or with the story of the USCT, or both? Well, I think it's it's already we've already seen an, an upsurge of interest. Um, one of the things I posted uh, on my blog a couple of weeks ago was, um, interestingly enough, a rap video um, mm. that was all about the 54th Massachusetts, and it was extremely well done. It was very historically accurate, and uh, they even spliced in some some scenes from Glory, and it was it was just. Very well done. So there are people that are, are definitely interested in this history and they're, that are grabbing onto it. Uh, where I live in Spotsylvania County, um, uh, there's an effort that I'm a part of um, to raise awareness of the 23rd United States Colored Troops, uh, which was um, a unit that was raised in Spotsylvania, uh, Fredericksburg, and the surrounding counties. And uh, they actually fired the first shots on Robert E. Lee's army that were ever fired north of the James River during the Spotsylvania campaign. Hmm. Uh, so I'm actually a reenactor now, <laughs> and we're uh, we're going through the county trying to recruit young men, and we've we've received a whole lot of interest. Um, and the thing that we just keep hearing over and over again is, we never knew about this. We never knew that there were black troops who fought in the Civil War. You know, just growing up right here where this stuff happened. We had no idea that there were people from this area who went off and fought for the Union Army. Uh, so I, I see the fifth centennial as, as a very um, promising period uh, to open people's eyes to, to the contributions that were made. Well, the uh, I, I talked to uh, uh, Greg Irwin. I think it was June third earlier this year, and he. he he recruited one of the companies of extras that served in Glory uh, uh, in the movie and talks about recruiting young black men to serve as reenactors. And uh, it was an interesting experience, and uh, he's written about it and, and talked about it some. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it is a story that, that does uh, bear telling. Let me ask, we're, we're running short on time, but let me ask uh, uh, quickly, um, well, uh, very quickly, if if you could meet one person uh, from the Civil War era, 
uh, who would you meet? What would you What would you want to say? Oh dear, it's Let's a civil war time there. machine. <laughs> it is. We we used to do this all the time. Uh, I don't do it uh, as often as I'd like to. Uh, well, it, it's a tough one. Uh, it is. Uh, let me see. Well, and another shameless plug here. Um, I just signed a, a second contract with the History Press to read uh, to write a book on the first battle of Deep Bottom. Um, so I've been researching about that, and uh, somebody who I've come across in this research is fairly well known to, to Civil War enthusiasts is uh, Francis Barlow. Ah, yes, and, famous, um, famous photograph of him. I just picked up a copy of his uh, edited letters, and um, they're very, very interesting. He's he's just an interesting guy, and. Uh, um, unfortunately, he had to leave the battlefield at Deep Bottom because he had just received word that his wife had died. Um, oh. So right now he's kind of the guy that I'm interested in and would like to sit down and chat with. Well, that, that will work for us. And unfortunately, we're out of time for chatting, so we're going to have to uh, end our show here. But, uh, Jimmy, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It was wonderful. And listeners, pick up a copy of The Battle of New Market Heights by James S. Price. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk.